0: Are we uh, enjoying the festival? I'm pretty glad that it's almost over. As much as I love it, it will be really nice to just like be able to get somewhere in the normal amount of time and not have to leave like 20 minutes early. So that's going to be exciting. The weirdest thing I've ever seen in the festival. I was thinking about this today because you see, it's, there's like this weird thing, you just see the, the most random things during the festival last year, um, just out in Toll Cross, I was up really early I was I think I was like going somewhere at half seven in the morning and I saw this man crossing the road with a snake around his neck like it was alive because it was moving you do not need to take snakes for walks because they don't have legs so there are other options so I don't know what he was doing but the festival attracts a lot of Strange people, um, but we love it anyway. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I was just thinking about that. Um, so um, I want to tell you a story. When I, was, um, when I was at university, my friends and I um, formed this little club. It was one of those sort of late night, we're going slightly crazy. It's five hours until the deadline, and I've only just written out the question kind of um, clubs. Um, And we called ourselves Team Last Minute, um, which was incredibly accurate, really. It wasn't very original, um, but it was honest. Um, And I'm not very proud of it, but I was a very active member of Team Last Minute. I probably could have been crowned Queen of Team Last Minute. Um, I I needed the fear to get things done, to get anything finished. Um, We would install ourselves in our computer lab like 24, 48 hours before the deadline, live off Tesco meal deals, uh, keep each other in the straight and narrow and off Facebook. I was a music student, so sometimes we would even have a little nap in a practice room. Um, And then at the end, we'd rejoice to our completion and toast uh, to team last minute and vow never to do it again again um, until the next hand-in. Anybody else with me, or am I alone? Good, I'm seeing a few hands, yeah. Um, we, we understand each other. Um, I didn't finish badly. Um, I got a good degree in the end, um, and I did eventually get my act together and knuckle down. But throughout some of those times when I was um, beating myself up for not starting something sooner, do you know, I didn't always finish well. Am I a little bit poppy? I feel like I'm a little poppy. Okay, maybe not. Um, Yeah, I didn't always finish as well as I could have. And that's one of those phrases that we hear um, a lot of these days. It sounds like everybody wants to finish something well, Um, whether it's a job or a degree um, or a, a project, we want to finish well. And over the summer, we've been spending some time in the Old Testament looking at the life of Moses. I'm a big fan of Moses. Um, I've always um, loved him, I've loved his story. Um, and I've loved being reminded this summer and refreshed again in those stories of this man um, who was commissioned by God despite his inadequacies. Yeah, and his, his lack of confidence how he held fast to God while waiting in the desert. In that place of preparation, he held fast to God. We read again the accounts of the plagues and marveled um, at Moses' boldness. He was a worshipful leader and he persevered through struggle. He was a man of deep, deep faith. And today uh, we come to the end of his life. At 120 years old now, Moses is, he was definitely not on team last minute. 120 years, man. He took a long time to finish. Um, Moses finished well. That's what I'm trying to say here. And and tonight um, we're going to look at the account of of his death and see what we can learn from it. And I promise that is not as morbid as it sounds. So the last four chapters of Deuteronomy um, hold the last part of Moses' story, and you can spend some time in those details yourself, but um, I'm just going to read chapter 34 tonight, and it'll be on the screen behind me if you haven't uh, got a Bible. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Pams as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him, and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Let me pray. So, Father, I thank you that your word is real. Thank you that it can be trusted, that we can stand the weight of our lives upon it. Thank you that it is not a dead and dusty book, but it is alive with your spirit and that you speak to us through it. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, now to come and speak to us, to come and speak to our hearts. Amen. Sometimes we are so guilty, um, or at least I know that I am, of of rushing over scripture to get to the important bit, you know, to get to the bit that we recognize or the bit that we really want to read and just want to get past all those details. Um, And we don't have that long here um, tonight, and that's not as long as we ever should spend poring over this incredible book. But there are just some really interesting things that I noticed in this passage that I want um, us to look at as we begin to unpack this tonight. This passage starts with an incredible picture. Moses climbed Mount Nebo. There the Lord showed him the whole land. Moses climbed the mountain and he met with the Lord. Now first off, let's just remind ourselves that Moses is 120 years old. I don't know any 120-year-olds, and I'm pretty sure that climbing mountains is not you know, high on their agendas. Um, and also, Mount Nebo is like almost 5,000 feet, so that's almost a mile. He's 120, and he just climbed a mile up into the air. I'm not even sure if I could like, run a mile, I think I would, be, I would be dead, you know? I mean, fair enough, he does die when he gets to the top of the mountain, but I don't think it was that that, that did it. Because it does say that he's fit for it. In verse seven, it says, his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. His eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. There's no bifocal glasses and Zimmer frames for Moses. And when he gets there, he meets with the Lord. And you know, that is not an uncommon occurrence for Moses. In fact, it's something that he seems to make a bit of a habit of, meeting God in the mountains. And while he's up there, God shows him the promised land. There the Lord showed him the whole land. Do you know this is not a detached observation for Moses. He had waited and waited. He had invested all of himself in getting the people to the promised land. He had endured so much. It's been a journey that's taken up like a third of his life And here he is, standing on top of the mountain, seeing that land long waited and hoped for, like no one else had seen it before. No Israelite sandal had touched it yet. The land flowing with milk and honey was before him, and the one who was always leading him was beside him. This moment is so marked, By the kindness of God. The Lord is so kind to Moses here. As you see, Moses wasn't going to get to go to the promised land. He wasn't going to get to go into it. God had told him so because he hadn't done what God had said. Moses, a while back, had taken matters into his own hands. Um, In Numbers 20, verse 12, we can read about that moment. It says, The Lord was displeased with Moses' actions. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. You can imagine Moses' jaw dropping and and his pleas starting, that sick feeling of realization coming over him, all that he had worked for and waited for. I'm sure we could we could focus on that, and I could try and figure out why God sometimes gives and sometimes takes. But I'm not going to do that because what I read in chapter 34 in Deuteronomy is saturated in the kindness of God. Moses could have been cast out for what he had done, but he wasn't. He was not rejected from God's presence. He had messed up, but he was not rejected. Look at the end of that passage, what an accolade to go out on. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The one who had always met with God was here again, meeting with God. Moses' life was shaped by encounter. Look back on his life, the, the defining moments were the ones where he was in the presence of God, at the burning bush in Egypt, um, in the wilderness, it was always, always an encounter. And here, at the end of his life, he was where he had always been, with the only one who really mattered, with the one in, in whose presence he was welcome. Does, does encounter with God shape your life? I don't mean is it part of your life, but does it shape your life? Regardless of all the other things that you do, the markers that you find along your path of life, your job or your family, the things that you love to do, the things that you have to do, what is it that shapes your life? What is your life molded to? Moses' life was shaped by the priority he placed on God's presence. This is not about the length of your quiet time or how good your prayers are. Because actually one of the things I love about this moment of encounter um, is that we see that Moses doesn't actually do any of the talking. It is all God. In his 120 years, he had learned that listening is the place of learning with God? Are you listening to God? Is his voice familiar to you? Moses was a listener. Did he always get it right? No. But he was always drawn back to that place of encounter with God. And you know, this moment, it didn't look like Moses had expected it to. He thought that he would get to lead the people into this land. He thought he would get to see it for himself and rejoice with the people. But instead, he's here in his final days, surveying it from very far away. I don't think um, that many of us will quite be able to top the drama in Moses' life. Um, but I think that what we can learn here is that sometimes finishing well won't look like we thought it would. Finishing well for Moses wasn't perfect. It wasn't neat and tidy. In many ways it was kind of unfinished. For him it meant a lot of, of giving up and letting go and passing on. And that must have been so hard. For Moses, the final marker of his leadership was sacrifice. We've heard a lot about leadership over this summer through this series. But the final marker in Moses' life was sacrifice. He was willing to follow God's lead and sacrifice the thing that he had worked 40 years for. He passed the baton willingly onto Joshua. He commissioned him. He laid his hands on him. He lauded him to the people. And he watched them begin to trust in Joshua the same way that they had trusted in him. You can't really get through this section of Moses' life without um, talking about the legacy that he left. All the things that I recapped at the beginning, the perseverance, the boldness all part of the legacy he left. And that is the key. He left his legacy. Moses knew that he couldn't take his legacy with him. He wasn't holding on tightly to his leadership status and breathing down Joshua's neck and being an awkward hovering shadow, always there offering an opinion on how he might have done it differently. There's nothing more annoying Moses let go, he let go, and he surrendered. He surrendered to God. I wonder what you need to surrender to God. It's one of those things that we keep having to do again and again in this life as a follower of Jesus. If you were to picture the things in your life being held in your hands, are they open, or are they clenched tight? Do you know, I don't think that Moses was afraid of, let it, of what letting go might mean for him. I don't think he was afraid. Maybe his age helped with that perspective. Old people always have a lot more perspective on what's important in life. He trusted God completely. He had always been a man of faith. Sometimes wavering faith, sometimes small faith, sometimes faith that needed a friend to stand alongside him. But faith nonetheless. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he threw his staff down before Pharaoh for it to become a snake. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, And Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence and assurance. That's mad, isn't it? Having faith is about the bravest thing that you can do. There is no doubt about that. But when your faith is in God, it's also the smartest thing. That you can do. Is surrender easy? Of course not. Is it worth it? Do we really trust God. For the things we hope for. And the things that we cannot see. Sometimes. Finishing well won't look. Like we expect it to. Sometimes life will not look. Like we expect it to. But it will always look. Like God expected it to. He was not surprised by this turn of events. We touched on it a bit tonight, but one of the things that you often hear um, when talking about Moses um, is that it's so unfair that he didn't get to see the fulfillment of everything he worked for, that he had given so much of his life and energy. He had poured himself into this thing and then he only got so far That he didn't get the prize. He didn't get to lead the people triumphantly into the promised land. That he didn't get what he wanted. And sure, it's true. He did not get to the promised land. We know that. It is right there for us to read. But you know, I think that Moses got exactly what he wanted. If we fast forward through the Bible to Matthew 17, we come across this fairly incredible account entitled The Transfiguration. And it's basically when Jesus and a couple of his close friends went up this mountain, another mountain, um, and Jesus revealed his glory to them. It says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. It sounds incredible. It sounds beautiful. It sounds terrifying as well. I think it's fair to acknowledge that because actually what we read about after that is how the disciples that were with him got a little bit freaked out, uh, which is fair enough. And that kind of is is what we sometimes take from that passage. But there's this tiny little short verse in that passage that we could so easily skip over. Verse 3 in Matthew 17 says this, Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now you cannot tell me that Moses didn't get what he wanted. Because sure, he may not have got to the promised land. But he got to talk with Jesus on the mountaintop. He knew him. And with all that I know, Jesus is better than the promised land. Jesus is better than the promised land. All the things Moses wanted to see, all the things he wished he hadn't done, all the things he wished he'd had the chance to do, all the things that he hoped for and he never saw, eclipsed by Jesus because Jesus is better than the promised land. He is the promise. He is the promised land. Now What are you waiting on? I could give you a list as long as my arm of the things that I am waiting and hoping for. And there is not one person in this room who isn't waiting and hoping for something. We are all waiting on the right job, the right house, the best opportunity, our next payday, the right person. Some of the things that we're waiting for aren't even as selfish as those things. Waiting on on justice to come to those who need it, relief to those who are suffering, salvation to those who are lost. And none of those things are wrong to wait and hope for. Selfish or noble, whatever we think, they're not wrong. And God loves to give. He blesses us immeasurably. But those things can so easily edge in front of the only one that we should be waiting on. Jesus is better than your promised land, He is better than your promised land. And, and that can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But if we've learned anything from Moses' life, it's that those moments with Jesus are better than anything. Those moments spent in encounter with God are better than all the things that we ever want to see. And they aren't just those hidden away moments These times of encounter with Jesus can shape every moment of our day and our lives, all the things that we do, all the people that we spend time with. And if you're um, a Christian tonight, then you know that we live in this upside down kingdom that sometimes doesn't make sense. This world will tell you, keep your eyes on the prize and look out for number one. But Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's like he's saying, keep your eyes On me, I will not disappoint you. I promise you, I will not disappoint you. And so, we're going to pause there. We're going to have a chance um, to sing our worship again to God in a minute. But tonight, maybe like Moses, you need to come back to that place of encounter with God that place of listening to what he says. Maybe it's been hard to hear him recently. Maybe you're not sure where he is. I would invite you tonight to come into that place of stillness with him and realize that he is by your side, just like he was with Moses on that mountaintop. Or maybe you need to do some letting go Maybe you've realized that actually your fists are clenched tight because you are so afraid. Maybe you need to do some surrendering tonight. Or maybe you just need to redirect your gaze back to Jesus for the millionth time, maybe for the first time. Moses was not disappointed. He was not disappointed And you will not be disappointed. Let me pray for us. So Father, I thank you that because of Jesus, we are not disappointed. That all the things that happen to us in this life, good or bad, wonderful or or really hard, that in you, in your presence, we are not disappointed. Because you are so full of goodness. You are so for us. You are our promise. You are the fulfillment of everything that we have waited and hoped for. So I pray tonight, Jesus, that we will have a fresh encounter with you. An encounter that changes us. I pray for my friends here tonight that they will encounter the Jesus who changes them. Thank you that you have good plans for us. Thank you that we are not left wanting in your presence. That you are our promised land. That you are better than all the things that we wait and hope for. You are our confidence. You are our assurance. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come that you will bless us with your presence, that we will experience you afresh again tonight, the gentleness of you, the miraculousness of you. Thank you that you are everything that each person in this room needs, that you know their needs, you know their thoughts, you know their anxious thoughts, and you can be the balm to that. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Jesus, we thank you. And we respond to you now. Amen.